welcome to another episode of the Reformation Roundtable podcast. My name is Joe Stout, and this podcast is a ministry of Christ Covenant Church in Lewis County, Washington. During each episode, you will discover the sermons, exhortations, discussions, and interviews from our various weekly gatherings. Christ Covenant Church is a historically reformed and evangelical church that has been serving the greater Centralia Chehalis area since May of 2021. We meet for worship each Lord's Day to sing psalms and hymns, confess our historic faith, hear the word faithfully proclaimed, and celebrate together the Lord's Supper. Throughout the week, we go out into the world to build the kingdom of Christ right here in Lewis County. If this sounds like a vision for you, we would love to have you join us. Head on over to lewiscounty.church, that is lewiscounty.church, where you will find a calendar of events as well as current times and locations for worship. Please enjoy the following audio. Thank you. My text this morning is from 1 Timothy chapter 3 and some other passages, but I'll read just first of all verses 1 through 7 from that book. These are the words of God. This is a faithful saying. If a man desires the position of a bishop, he desires a good work. A bishop then must be blameless, the husband of one wife, temperate, sober-minded, of good behavior, hospitable, able to teach, not given to wine, not violent, not greedy for money, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not covetous, one who rules his own house well, having his children in submission with all reverence, For if a man does not know how to rule his own house, how will he take care of the church of God? Not a novice, lest being puffed up with pride, he fall into the same condemnation as the devil. Moreover, he must have a good testimony among those who are outside, lest he fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. Thus far, the reading of God's word, let's ask his blessing now. Father, your word instructs us as to what to believe and how to live. We turn to it now as your church. Instruct us in the way we are to glorify you in the work of this church. With eyes on the text, we ask for your blessing of your Holy Spirit now. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Please be seated. Wow, I can't go away for a couple of months and you guys just don't completely transform every time I show up here. Congratulations, Christ Covenant Church. God has been amazingly blessing, just amazing in blessings to you in so many ways. And we at Trinity Church, uh, elders and friends there, all send their greetings. I'm glad to send me down to, uh, to celebrate with you in, in installing uh, another elder and a pastor uh, in this church and to, to see the building we've been praying about that would come together and hearing about the school. And I, I imagine next time there'll be a university and a cathedral and big choir. I don't know. What, what do you got plans now next? Yeah. No, this is just wonderful and, and, and a good sign of uh, of God's work among you. I, I remember, um, I don't know how, I don't remember, maybe Joe does, how many years ago it was that uh, I got an email from somebody named Joe Stout down in Centralia. Hey, do you know any other Reformed people down here? Would just love to start a little work. And I said, no, sorry, Joe. <laughs> Dave. <laughs> and I, I don't know how many years went by, and then finally he kind of knocked on the email again and said, hey, <laughs> I think I've got some people down here. Let's do something. 
And it's just, it is really wonderful to see how God is blessing the work down here. You guys um, have a, a, a fabulous fellowship and a fabulous opportunity before you and a great work to do. Well, you know, as you, write, as you, as you read Paul's writings, he writes many, many letters to many churches. And, and as he writes the letters to the churches, he instructs um, all, every, the congregation in a variety of different ways. But this, is, this letter is a letter that he writes to a pastor. This is in a series of letters called the Pastoral Epistles, where Paul is writing to another pastor. That's why this is the, the letter to Timothy. There's two of them, then there's one to Titus, and there's one to Philemon as well. When Paul writes to a pastor, when Paul writes to, uh, to Timothy particular here, most likely Timothy is serving in Ephesus at the time, and he writes to him about how a church is to be shepherded, how, how a church is to be managed, how a church is to establish leadership roles, and, and what does God's word instruct in this. And so um, as you read through a pastoral letter, you ought to think about it in terms, first of all, as a pastor of pastors who is writing to a pastor about how he should be shepherding the church. And then as a congregation, you can learn a lot from that. But, but the first, the, the commendation or the, the commands are oftentimes directed towards the pastor, first of all, and towards the leadership of the church. And so we have here the, uh, this section where he is discussing how to organize the elders and then later on the deacons and actually some other offices as well in this letter. So as a church, now you are about to witness and testify to the ordination of a man to the office of elder and to the work of a pastor among the body. And so... This is a good time to remember what the Word teaches about these things. As you continue to do things decently in order, and that's what you are attempting to do, following God's Word, not just coming up with your own ideas about how should we decide who should lead the church or or, or that kind of thing, but what does God's Word instruct? That's That's to do this decently in order. You can expect to see the hand of God continue to bless this new and growing community of saints. In fact, God gives us pastors so that we continue in the way of blessing. Listen to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11, where uh, Paul is describing this, the, the development of the gifts that God gives into the church in order to bring about blessing in the church and then through the church, really, to the world. He says, And God himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. For the equipping of the saints, and this as the uh, so you can see the apostles and the prophets as laying the foundation. He says in another place, laying the foundation from which all the teaching is to come forth from. But then he gives also the evangelists and the pastors and the teachers for the equipping of the saints, all of you, all of us, for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That's the goal of the teaching ministry of the church. It says that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. And if I could just pause there, this is because so many churches are not doing these kinds of things decently in order, you see churches all over America being tossed about in all kinds of crazy ways. But we, are, are with, are, with our eyes on the text, are trying to follow the Lord, expecting great blessing, to grow up into maturity, to become more and more like Christ, and as a, and as a body to become more and more the perfected bride of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
He goes on, but speaking the truth in love, we may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. So that's what he's talking about in Ephesians, describing what the church is supposed to do, what these teachers are supposed to do. And we now come to this passage in 1 Timothy that describes the qualifications of a bishop. So first of all, I think we need to define a few terms. Um, Verse 1 says, again, this is a faithful saying, if a man desires the position of a bishop, he desires a good work. And so, of course, Aaron has brought his mitered hat and his uh, uh, deep-colored vestments, and he will be up here soon just um, uh, taking control of many other priests under him. Because that's what a bishop is, isn't it? That's what what comes to mind, isn't it? (laughs) So let's define some terms here. Um, The New Testament word bishop is episkopos, episkopos. And it means literally overseer. Uh, Depending on the uh, translation you have, and you might, might actually say overseer as opposed to bishop to avoid that kind of misunderstanding. So an overseer, an episkopos, a modern usage might be, uh, think of a word like manager. He's a manager, okay? So the word is used, interestingly, interchangeably by Paul and Peter um, with another word, presbyteros. The, the, the episkopos is a, is a Greek word. The presbyteros word probably comes from a, uh, from a Hebrew um, uh, root as well, or also, and and it points back to the Old Testament teachings of the elders that you can find in the Old Testament teachings as well. And so Paul will use the, the, the word elder and, and bishop, and he'll just throw them back and forth. He'll, 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 he sends for the elders of the church at Ephesus in Acts chapter 20, verse 17. And then while he's talking to them, he calls them all bishops in, in uh, verse 28 of that chapter. Peter likewise wrote to his fellow elders and then mentioned them serving as bishops in, uh, in uh, 1 Peter 5. We'll look at that passage in a little bit as well. And then Paul told Titus to go around and appoint elders and then describes the qualifications of those bishops in Titus 1, 5 through 7. We'll turn there also. But, but in, in all these situations, <coughs> the, uh, excuse me, the interchange or the, the use of bishop and elder just gets swapped back and forth as, as Paul is using it. So a bishop is an elder, and an elder or bishop is, orda- is an ordained overseer or manager of the church by the laying hands of, of the elder, other elders. Um, and so the, the um, apostolic church no longer has apostles, but the, the, the elders of churches lay hands upon the, the other elders, bringing them into ministry. Um, and that's part of the, the, the gifted ministry of the church in, in, in bringing up other leaders for the church. Well, elders also are pastors, in uh, the CREC, it's possible to have, um, an or- you can organize your leadership of the church with a number of different offices. I'm not going to get into too many details, but some churches will have elders, and then one of those elders will be particularly, um, oh, they, might, they might divide them into ruling and, and, and uh, teaching elders, but one of them will be set aside particularly as a pastor, and it might be considered a separate office. Um, our church and your church, um, at, for the time being at least, is, is a two-office, meaning that all the elders are um, serving on the same uh, team or on the same, in the same office. But you can set aside 
um, one or more um, for particular duties as, as they are qualified in, in teaching and in prayer and care for the church. You set them aside, they receive, um, they receive double honor, not just the honor of being an elder, but also receive their living from that so that they can give their time to that. So, um, and, and so that's what, but in, in another sense, all of the elders are pastors, Okay, all the elders are pastors. Um, pastor comes from the Latin, comes from a Latin word for shepherd. Peter exhorts the elders of the church to shepherd the flock of God, which is among you, serving as bishops, serving as elders. <laughs> and that means to care for the people of God in a way that imitates the chief shepherd, who is Christ, the good shepherd, of course. So elders are under shepherds. They are under. They, they are shepherded in, in, in accordance um, with uh, with Jesus Christ's teachings and character. That's what you're looking for when you're looking to ordain a man to be an elder. You're looking for someone who's shepherds like Christ. Is Christ like in his shepherding? The fact that it is an office is important. Also, it says it's a faithful saying: If a man desires the position or office of a bishop, he desires a good work. This means that God has established this particular way of governing the church, overseeing the care, the teaching, the administration of the sacraments, the discipline and encouragement of the people of God. It's rooted in Old Testament teachings and is assumed to be necessary in the establishment and growth of a healthy church. Look, we didn't all get together and say, let's have a group of people, and we'll have a Bible study, and we'll turn it into a church. And How do you want to do that? Let's... Uh, let's figure out how we want to do that. No, we turn and we find out God has established the governance of a church, how the church is to be governed. We're, we are, um, when we're setting up elders to lead and God, we set up deacons to serve under their particular duties. We are not coming up with our own ideas. We're trying to follow very carefully what the word of God instructs us in. And so um, the um, what, what follows then in this passage in First Timothy, and if you have a Bible and you want to open there, we'll be going through uh, the qualifications. You ought to take a look at this with me. The qualifying character of an elder. Qualifying character. What makes him qualified? It's important to note and remember that no matter how scandalous, no matter how deep a man or a woman's sin is or has been in their life, we are to welcome all into fellowship of the church, calling on them brothers and sisters, those who repent and believe the gospel. The bar for fellowship, the bar for fellowship is set low. It's all grace at the base of the cross. Okay? But the qualifications for leadership require evidence of how that grace works. It requires evidence of that grace working in the life and the family of the one who's going to be leading. Because we're going to be following. We're going to be imitating. And so the, the, the bar for fellowship is low. But the bar for qualifi qualification for leadership is set quite high. Leadership qualifications in doctrine and character are required of all officers. But the list includes all, all, all kinds of things that we should be imitating as well. And so... And so we look to the elders and we look to them to see that if they have these kind of qualifications, not just because we want them to, but because we want them to help us imitate them 
in, in following those kinds of characteristics, the, the, that kind of love and study of the scriptures, that kind of giving, giving of oneself to prayer, that kind of giving oneself to the responsibilities as a husband and a father and a family and a church member and a, and a member of society. I want to follow him in those ways. I want to learn from him how to, how to be that kind of a Christ-like person. So of these qualifications, it says in verse 1, a bishop must be blameless with regard to these things. He's to be the husband of one wife. Now, the prior verses right before, verses 8 through 15, already clarifies that a woman may not hold the office of elder, a place of teaching with authority, the authority of those hands being laid and ordained. Elders are to be men. Here it is also made clear that an elder must be a one-woman man. Uh, that's, that's what it says, a husband of one wife. You could literally, um, literally translate that a one-woman man. And this requires marital faithfulness if and when married. It doesn't require that he be married or that he always be married. But it does require that when married, there is obvious faithfulness. It, it, it requires sexual purity regardless of whether and when he is married. Sexual purity um, for all who are in the office. So, what does that mean? It means he's not a flirt. He's not a voyeur, and he is satisfied with the wife of his youth, to make it, just to set it plainly, okay? He's not a flirt. That's important when you're uh, shepherding and pastoring a church of men and women. It's, it's important that he understands um, what it is to, to be a prudent and careful man in his relationships with all the people in the church, and more importantly, it means that he's able to show forth a faithfulness and love and devotion for a wife. Picturing not only for all of us, um, uh, all, all men here, how to be faithful and good husbands and fathers, but also what it looks like for Jesus' devotion to his bride, the church. So he's to be a husband of one wife. He is to be, it then says, temperate, sober-minded, and of good behavior. These, these words cascade around the same ideas. This man is self-controlled and balanced in his judgment. He's prudent, sensible, and discreet. He's careful. He will be hearing many, many things as he counsels, many, many concerns, many, many things that really need to remain quite confidential as he deals with um, a number of different situations within the church. And so he needs to be one who knows how to keep confidence in the right kinds of ways, to be discreet and careful and prudent as he manages and judges um, situations and provides counsel. He's the kind of man one can trust to handle serious and complex issues and can do so without losing his cool. And then it says that he is to be hospitable. He's the kind of man whose life has a place for others. Maybe that's the best way to, to, to describe hospitality. It's just in a general way. He's the kind of man whose life has a place for others. His home, his office, his space invites others in. It's an inviting place for others to come and receive. Pastors need to love strangers because he's going to have to learn to love you guys and you are strange people. Yes, right? And, and this word literally means a lover of strangers. Hospitality means a lover of strangers. It says he needs to be able to teach. And that really assumes a couple of things. Um, first of all, it means that he has good things to teach. 
means he's learned well. He's a good learner, and he has sound doctrine. Um, you have, uh, in, in the situation you have here with Aaron and his family coming here, you had the opportunity to interview him. You had an opportunity to have him out, out here. You had an opportunity to hear him preach. With regard to both character and doctrine, you are, you, you are trusting Christ Church and those who have known these folks for years and, 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 and are able to testify to them with regard to character and doctrine. But how many of you really feel qualified to make sure that the doctrinal teachings of, this, of a man, of any elder, has re- really reaches the standards it needs to be? For many of us, we, 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 need, we need him to teach us the, the sound doctrine, right? And that's why a presbytery is so helpful in the ordination, especially of a man who's going to be spending his time in the pulpit instructing you. That man is going, if, if he's going to be the, the full-time pastor, for lack of a better um, uh, term, if he's going to be that pastor, we want to know that others who have that kind of qualification with regard to doctrine have tested him, have examined him. And that's exactly what the Presbytery, Knox Presbytery, has done to affirm and confirm that the work at Greyfriars and the study there has, has b- brought forth a fruit of doctrine, of doctrinal understanding, able to handle the text, an understanding of church history, an understanding of, of, of theology, an understanding of, um, of the major doctrines of the faith, and an ability to teach and instruct and correct according to those. That's what we stand on as we bring a man to come in to be the pastor. Others who are able to say, yes, you can trust this man knows well. But then also an ability to then teach those things to you, right? And and, and someone who has a gift to be able to take what he knows and then communicate it to the people um, according to where they are and in the circumstances of their lives and their needs and concerns. That's what it means that an elder is to be able to teach. It says here that he is not to be given to wine, um, which doesn't mean that he can be given to beer, okay, just to make that clear, all right? So he's not to be given to wine, which means he's not to be controlled by other substances. He, he must not be uh, under the control and influence of other substances. It's, it's not a call to a prohibition of such things. Rather, it is a demand that those things never have him in their grip. Frankly, it's, um, uh, th- there might be a time where prohibition is a good thing for a particular individual. But one of the things to, to be able to, to learn from pastors, from elders, is, is how you can have certain things, that, uh, the good things of the earth, and not be controlled by them, but be able to enjoy them, be able to share them, be able to use them as God has intended and not abuse them. But he is not to be given to them. It says here, and I'm going to pull different phrases, he says he's not to be violent but gentle and not quarrelsome. Let's look at those phrases. He's not to be violent but gentle and not quarrelsome. But that doesn't mean he's not ready to fight, okay? He, he's ready to fight for you. He's ready to fight for the sheep. He's ready to send out wolves, packing. He, he's, he's ready to protect the sheep that he is committed to serving. But he is not desirous of fighting the sheep. And he knows the difference. An elder knows where his fight is supposed to go. Um, it, it is said, I'll just make a comment here about uh, one of the pastors uh, at Christchurch, many of you probably know, Doug Wilson, is known as a fighter. And if you don't know Doug, if you only know Doug by his blog, if you only know Doug of, of some of his talks and stuff, you might think that he's just a man looking for a fight all the time. Right? And, he, and he's, ready to, he's ready to use a serrated edge to make his point. 
But I've known Doug for 30 plus years. I've been in his house multiple times. He's been in my house multiple times. He's a good friend. So is Nancy to my wife. Um, they are some of the most gentle, kind, sweet, um, happy, joyful people you'll ever meet with the sheep and terrifying to the wolves as, as, as a good pastor should be, as a good pastor should be. So he, he's, one that he's, he's willing to fight for the truth, but he has no desire to sow discord. He will have to admonish and rebuke. He will have to. But he must be a man who does so, as it says in Galatians 6, with a spirit of gentleness. That's the kind of elder that you want, who's ready and willing to speak the truth to you in love. The truth oftentimes is going to hurt, to challenge. It's going to come as a rebuke, an admonishment. You want, to, you want a man who's going to do that in a spirit of gentleness. It's obvious that he loves you. It's obvious that he loves the flock. It's obvious that he has his best um, in, uh, your best interests in mind. It says he's not a novice. And at my age, Aaron looks quite young. But the word neophyte there is, is probably not referring to specifically to his age, but rather to his length of time in the Christian faith and his maturity in the faith over time. And so it's not necessary. The older you get, the older you think your pastor needs to be. But that's not necessarily true, not even, not even the, best, uh, the best things. Um, one of the things that as churches have been growing up in the CREC, we've noticed is as, as the pastors or, or pastors or elders are growing older, it actually is, is, is a good time to install younger elders and deacons than you used to think were right, because now they have the wisdom of those men who are still there, and they get the years of growing up under them. I think that's what Aaron has here, with three faithful, much older men than, than him. <laughs> Who will, who will be around him and, and, and with him. But, he, but he's not to be a neophyte in the sense of his, uh, how long of a time he's been walking with the Lord faithfully. His faith has stood the test of time and seasons of life, and I think you get that, um, you, you, you get that uh, opinion about him as you speak to folks about him over at Christ Church. So an elder or bishop also, it says, are to have a good testimony among those who are outside, which is an interesting phrase and an important thing to remember as well. What's the word on the street about this guy? What is his business reputation? What do the neighbors think of him or his employer or his employees? They might think he's something of a Jesus freak, and that's fine. But he shouldn't be known as simply an all-around jerk. And so it's interesting it's, it, as you're looking for the qualifications of an elder or deacon to, to wonder what the rest of the world outside actually thinks of this person. It, it matters. It matters in the work of the kingdom. Many, many church errors come from elders chosen because, well, they're super successful in the business world, so they'd be really good in the church. Or um, they're, they're a savvy politician. They know how to work their way around and work a crowd. That would make a good elder. Or they are, um, they've got a big personality, just gregarious, um, charismatic type leader. That would make a good elder and a pastor. Or they're the biggest donor in the bunch. And so, of course, they've earned the right to be an elder. And that kind of error happens all over our country all over, for generations and generations and causes all kinds of trouble when that's the standard. 
not, not any one of those things is not necessarily wrong. So it's not, it, it, it might even be helpful in noting whether or not someone's qualified. But those aren't really listed here. That's, that's not what we're told to be looking for. That's not what Paul is telling Timothy primarily to be looking for with regard to who should be an elder. Now, um, turn me the, just a couple of... Uh, uh, well, I want you to notice, we, we, before I do that, it says also that he has a well-managed household. It says in verse 4, one who rules his own house well, having his children in submission with all reverence. A little bit more is said in Titus. Just turn over a couple of books to Titus chapter 1. And actually another list of qualifications for the elders are there as well. He says in verse 5, Writing to Titus, Paul says, For this reason I've left you in Crete, that you should set in order the things that are lacking, and appoint elders in every city as I commanded you. If a man is blameless, the husband of one wife, having faithful children, not accused of dissipation or insubordination. If you have your Bible there, it says in the very next verse, uh, verse 7, for a bishop must be blameless. So there you go, he's appointing elders and calling them bishops. That's what I referred to. But there in, in, in verse 6, if a man is blameless, the husband of one wife, having faithful children not accused of dissipation or insubordination. Take those two, uh, 1 Timothy 3, 4, 5, and, and also for Titus 1, 6, put them together, what do we see? These household requirements, first of all, do not mean that an unmarried man or a man without children cannot be an elder. Um, if someone takes it so, some will take it so literally. They'll say, "Well, um, a man. This is proof that a man has to be married, and he has to have a child." Well, if you're going to be really literal, he has to actually have children because it says children. So, so that's the, the the point is: look at his household in the situation that he finds him that you find he you find him in. Look at his household. Is it well managed? Can you tell that he is a faithful father and husband? What, what do his children and his wife think of him? How do they react to him? Um, how do they respond to him? So the qualifications are describing the man who does have a family. The home is a little church. The home is a little church, and the man is a pastor, a shepherd in that position. How is he doing there? It says, um, for if a man does not know how to rule his own house, how will he take care of the church of God? That house is a little church that we are invited to peer into to see whether or not he is a good pastor or fit to be a good elder. In a side note then, all husbands and fathers are pastors of a sort. All husbands and fathers are shepherds. And they have been appointed by God with a particular flock that they are to care for in the office of a husband and father. This is the testing ground. It's a great testing ground. Um, and so usually you're looking for a man who has a family and you can see how he orders his family, how he cares for his family, how he sacrifices for his family, how he loves his wife, how he loves and disciplines and instructs his children. And then finally, back in, in 1 Timothy, um, again, it says, one who rules his own house well. This is where so much of our faith really bears fruit, and it certainly is the first place. So you're looking, is the home in order? Is the family protected, fed, loved, warm, and at peace? Is the husband clearly in charge, taking full responsibility, or is he a finger pointer and blaming his wife or his kids uh, for the things that are not going well? 
Is the husband clearly in charge? Is the word of God clearly the foundation of all that is going on? And is there the aroma of grace and forgiveness along with the sound of joy and laughter in the home? Is it a place you'd want to hang out? Because that's the kind of pastor that father, that husband, is going to be. It says, his children are in submission with all reverence. And in Titus, faithful children, not accused of dissipation. Do the children love their father? Is it evident? Do they respect their father? And follow faithfully in their father's steps as disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, are they believers according to their frame and where they're at? Are, are they followers of Christ with their dad? So uh, some, will, some will debate whether or not um, children of elders have to be believers. But it says they're to be faithful to their father's teaching. Well, I hope that faithful father is telling his children to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and they're following with him. As for me and my house, kids, we will serve the Lord. I didn't turn to my kids and say, we'll take a vote. No, I said, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Here we go. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. We're going. Kingdom builders. Me and my kids together. In fact, Psalm 127 says this. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are the children of one's youth. Happy is the man who has his quiver full of them. They shall not be ashamed, but shall speak with their enemies in the gate. So in this spiritual war that we are in, can you look at the elder and envision his children fighting on the front line with you? Would you want them there? Or in Psalm 128, verse 3, your wife shall be like a fruitful vine in the very heart of your house, your children like olive plants all around your table. Well, if his children is the olive garden, would you buy his oil? That's what you're looking for. The fruit of the labor of his hands in the, um, in the home is evidence of his ability to provide the kind of fruit that we want in the church. That's why Paul gives these kinds of qualifications. That's why he, he instructs Timothy and Titus in what you're to be looking for, the kind of leader, the kind of elder, the kind of overseer that you want for a church. Now turn with me to, to First Timothy, I'm sorry, First Peter, chapter five, right after the book of Hebrews. And let's look at just a couple other passages here. I want to give words to shepherds, first of all, and then I'm going to close also with words to the sheep. So as you think about the office of elder or shepherd, pastor, bishop, let's, let's see the words particularly to the shepherds. And 1 Peter 5 is, is a good one to go to there. 1 Peter 5, 1 through 5. The elders who are among you, I exhort, I who am a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ and also a partaker of the glory that will be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God, pastor the flock of God, which is among you, serving as overseers, there it is, bishops, not by compulsion, but willingly, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly, nor as being lords over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. Likewise, you younger people, submit yourselves to your elders. Yes, all of you be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility. Okay, so this is a word, these are the words of the shepherds, to the elders. This is a word to the elders who are here, to the elder who will be ordained in just a moment. It's an honor 
It's an honor to be called an elder. It's an honor to be called a pastor. But it's important to remember that this calling is a calling to be a bond slave of Jesus Christ. That is why, in, in some traditions, in some churches, a minister wears a, that white collar. It's, a, it's, it's his uniform that identifies him as a slave. So to be called to the office of elder is to be made a slave of Jesus Christ, a bondservant of Christ, and not a rogue dictator. Do you see the problems that the church has had in so many ways? He is not being elevated to a place where he's now the CEO of a corporation. He has been set in a place to lay his life down for the sheep, to care for and nurture and feed sheep. At all times, but especially in times of spiritual confusion and various sufferings and persecutions, as Peter is writing in, and in some ways, the ways that we find ourselves, sheep need shepherds. Sheep need shepherds who imitate the chief shepherd. That's what Peter's bringing out here. Pastors must see to it that it is, it is God's flock. They must see that it is God's flock that has been entrusted to him and that he will answer to God for them. Peter says, I who am a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ and also a partaker of the glory that will be revealed, shepherd the flock of God. Not your flock. It's God's flock. And you're going to answer to him in this position. Shepherd them because they are God's. Elders must not shepherd the flock under compulsion, it says, or for dishonest gain or to be a bully. That's verse 2. These are always temptations. But instead, the pastor must shepherd willingly and eagerly, Peter writes. Willingly and eagerly. He wants to be there. He loves God. He loves his flock. He loves his calling. A man who is going to give his life for years, as God, as God provides and allows, for years and or for decades, needs to love his people. Shepherds love these people here. They are gods. I'm oftentimes um, amazed as I watch, for instance, the lifting of hands and the singing of the glory patri. And I think about all of those saints, my brothers and sisters, all of those holy hands lifted because of the grace, the, the gracious work of God the Father through his Son and the power of the Spirit. And I think of all the stories and testimonies of all that God has, has done and is doing. And I think of how powerful that is and how wonderful that, that I'm in a position as an elder to serve and, in, and help these people along to do more and more for the sake of God's kingdom over generations. We're able to have an impact through our teaching, through our instruction, through our care and our nurture, elders, that will have an impact long after we're gone. That's why God has you here. And it trickles down, obviously, to dads, husbands, and fathers, to wives and mothers, to the next generation. This last verse here says, Likewise, you younger people, submit yourselves to your elders. Not to, don't submit to them. Um, submit to them because God said so. But don't just submit to them because God said so. Don't you see? He has given you 
men you can follow. He's, he's giving you men who can answer your questions. The deepest and most profound questions you have. He's given you teachers who can help you walk through some of the darkest times in your life. And I guarantee you, you will have some very dark times. And God has made sure that there are men here who are going to be able to shepherd and care and pray for you and with you during that time. Submit to them. Submit to that kind of rule. And so, words to the sheep. Back in Hebrews, the end of of the book of Hebrews, let me just read two verses. Hebrews 13, verse 7 and then 17. Hebrews 13, 7. Remember those who rule over you, who have spoken the word of God to you, whose faith follow, considering the outcome of their conduct. And then 17. Obey those who rule over you and be submissive, for they watch out for your souls as those who must give account. Let them do so with joy and not with grief, for that would be unprofitable for you. And so words to the sheep now. Words to all of you, all of us. In fact, and I do mean all of us, you you know that the elders, as individuals, submit to the elders. Your elders, as individuals, submit to the elders. And that's why you want a plurality of elders as well. So this is for all of us then. It's important, as the flock of God to know what God requires of the elders and of your pastor. It's important for you to see that God has placed them over you out of love for you. God has given you these men because he loves you. You must evaluate the elders by the standard of God's word and not by your own preferences or opinions. And I know each one of you have preferences and opinions. But you are not to evaluate them based on your preferences or opinions, but rather by by the word of God. Do do they match these qualifications? Then submit to them. Because God has given them to you. As they speak the word, teach and exhort you from the word, as they do that, you're to hear and remember this as the rule of the elders. So when it says the elders rule over you, how, how do elders rule over you? Right here. By taking God's word and in the name of Christ, giving it to you. Which means when they tell you to do something here from the word, and you you look and say, yeah, that's in the text. That's what I'm supposed to do. They are ruling and you are to submit to them. So so it's more that you heard heard it from the word. You can read it in the word yourself. But when it comes and you know what it's like, you, you receive the word in preaching. You've submitted yourself to it. You've asked God's blessing and spirit to be present. And then, and then God speaks, oftentimes very specifically to you in your situation. And you hear that word. You're to hear that, not just as the power of the word, but God speaking to you through his appointed servant and minister. You're to hear the very voice of Christ to you, and you're to say amen to that and obey. Because God loves you. Because God loves you. And this is how he's speaking to you. This is how he's directing you. This is where he's taking you. So, and so to the extent that you see it in the word, you're to obey them and be submissive to them. Pastors who rule, rule well and labor in the word are worthy of double honor. As I mentioned, this is in 1 Timothy 5.17. And so for, for someone who's being put into the office of pastor, they receive the honor of respect and you should unashamedly respect them. Unashamedly respect your elders. And to the pastor, you should also pay them well. Pay them well. 
There are far too many stories of pastors who um, are living in nearly in poverty because the congregation and then the elders over them do not make sure that they are paid well. Do not do that. That's shameful. They're worthy of double honor. And God says to make sure they're cared for in that way. God says that they will have to give an account for you. And they will have to give an account to you before the very judgment seat of God for their call as a minister. And you should consider, um, you could, should consider what he will say to God about you. May it not be as Moses did at one point. Numbers 11, Moses said to the Lord, Why have you afflicted your servant? And why have I not found favor in your sight? And you've laid the burden of all these people on me. Did I conceive all these people? Did I beget them that you should say to me, carry them in your bosom as a guardian carries a nursing child to the land which you swore to their fathers? I think it was a low point in Moses' ministry. <laughs> but you don't want your pastor to have to talk to God about you like that. That's, that's, what, he, that's what it means here. And says, let them do so with joy and not with grief, for that would be unprofitable for you. You don't want to hear from the Lord, I was hearing from your pastor. Right? Instead, let them do so with joy, not with grief. So Aaron will be one of uh, four among equals as an elder. I'll remain here as a, as a pro tem as, as long as they want me around. But he will be set aside to be your pastor. And, and, and there is going to obviously be some transition time. But there is an objective moment that is about to take place where he's going to be ordained as an elder and as, as a pastor. He is today your pastor. Treat him as such. Let him grow up into it and as the transition time comes, work through it with him, with them together. But as of today, he's your pastor. And everything the word says he is to do and everything the word says to you, you are towards him. This is the will of God. This is real-time gospel living. For the shepherds and for the sheep, the church is a local testimony of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The stakes are high, but so are the promises to those who love God and keep his commandments. This church is to be a refuge to all who would come hungry for life and the forgiveness of sins. It is to be a beachhead of heavenly citizens marshaled and called to the discipling of Lewis County with eyes of faith in both directions as a refuge and a beachhead. Elders are to lead by example in loving one another and testifying to the community with the transforming love of Jesus Christ. That is your calling. That's the calling to this church, to these elders, and to the glory of God. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Let us pray. Father, this is your teaching on the church, on her shepherds and her people. Bless this teaching to the work of this church now and to her new pastor. In Jesus' name, amen.